You're listening to Win Win, an entrepreneurial community with your host, Ben Wolf. And welcome to Win Win, an entrepreneurial community. I am Ben Wolf, as always, your host. And we're going to learn from our guest today how to rock your productivity and drop your stress. Uh, as always, I remind everybody and ask everybody to do yourselves and me a favor uh, by uh, subscribing, leaving you a review wherever it is that you listen to this or you are watching this, and that will make it more available to other people. So I definitely ask you to do that. Um, so in addition, I want to get it straight into introducing my guest today. Uh, she is a CMO advisor, marketing strategist, and sought-after public speaker at her company, Energize Growth. I'll put a link to that in the uh, comments below. Uh, or in the description, she joined uh, recently the faculty of a new audio streaming course company, knowable.fyi, uh, which should be launching at the end of the year. And again, you could find information about her at her company, energizegrowth.com. And with that, I give you Lisa Norell. Welcome, Lisa. Good morning, Ben. Good to be here. Awesome. Happy to have you. And uh, I want to get in, as I always do with my guests, to give people a couple of minutes of, uh, you know, a quick introduction of context and history on yourself. Maybe what's not reflected in your, so to speak, resume on LinkedIn uh, to get people to, you know, kind of the, some of the stuff that we're going to be getting into today. You know, how did you get to be turning, talking about and learning about that stuff? Well, thanks for having me this morning. I would take people back to a time that I had a full-time position with a great big software company. This was about 20 years ago. And I was reading your website and I thought this might really bring it home for people. There I was, I was a senior partner in a consulting division of a multi-billion dollar software company. And I had all the trappings of how Western society would define wealth. And I had made enough money in one year to outweigh what I had earned in the previous three years combined. Wow. I had an ocean view home with my former husband. I drove a really nice car. We took lots of international vacations. So, you know, it looked on the outside like everything was going well. I, you know, we, we saved money. So, in terms of our operating system uh, on the outside, everything mm -hmm. looked great. Mm -hmm. And then 9-11 hit. And I noticed that whenever I got a big paycheck or I got recognition from a client or whatever, I just felt empty inside. Mm -hmm. Have you ever had that moment where you think, okay, I just reached that peak of the mountain, but I don't feel any better. I don't feel yeah. more fulfilled. I'm not happier. And then I realized, you know, something isn't right. I'm 39 and I'm supposed to be happy with all of this and I'm not. Somebody mentioned there was a person named Greg who was a business coach. And I thought, all right, I don't know what a business coach is, but I'll set up a call with him. And this is way before Zoom. Mm -hmm. So we didn't have video conferencing. And so we talked and I realized, oh, okay, he can help me set some goals and, you know, be accountable. And what I quickly learned is it wasn't about business. It was about really taking a deep look at what do I stand for? What do I really want in life? And it wasn't what I had. So I did a, a radical thing after about a year and a half of working with Greg. 
And I, I left my cushy job, my fancy title, and I went out on my own and started consulting and coaching CEOs. So here I am, you know, it took me 19 and a half years to become an overnight success, but two books and, you know, about 900 blog posts and 28 online courses later, I'm, I'm really having the time of my life and enjoying every moment with my clients. Well, that's awesome. So, you know, so I, I appreciate that. And I definitely want to get into just some of that stuff that you're working on with your clients and, and, and definitely what you're saying and describing what happened to you certainly resonates with me even now. Um, you know, one of the most stressful <clears throat> pieces of the companies that I've uh, built as well as now running my own business is just there's so much to do. I'm always running harried from one thing to the next, one call to the next, next one task to the next, so much to accomplish. Uh, and I know you talk a lot in, you know, you have your book, Mindful Marketer, you talk a lot about mindful marketing, but, I, you know, obviously this is not unique specifically only to marketing. So what does mindfulness mean in the context of, you know, somebody that's, you know, somebody like us that's, you know, that's in business, whether they're part of a company or they have their own business or they're in the leadership team of a business, what does mindfulness mean? The def I love that we always start with a definition because um, Plato says the path to wisdom begins with a common set of definitions. Mm -hmm. So for me, when I first ventured into mindfulness practices, thanks to Greg, mm -hmm. I really didn't know what I was getting into. And it took me a few years to create my own definition of it. It's simply in four words, it's non-judgmental present moment awareness. That's all it is. It's being able to live moment to moment and through observing ourselves and observing others, choosing, <clears throat> choosing the path we want to go in life. Mm -hmm. And I really love that philosophy, you know, that we are the captain of our own ship and we get to choose every single moment where, who we want to be, how we want to react, you know, um, it's really a very freeing feeling to have that, especially during these insane times where we see so much social unrest and so much polarization in our society. And of course, COVID. Um, don't you think everybody could use just a little bit more mindfulness during these tough times, Ben? Yeah, there's, you know, we're so caught up in reactivity you know, whether it's to how other people are feeling or the, like you talk about the chaos that it feels like in the world around us or the tribalism and the polarization, as you put it. Um, like when you're working with people uh, and helping them, you know, learn some of this mindfulness in their, in their lives and their businesses, what, what are their lives looking like? You just paint us a picture before or usually Oh, yes. And what I'm going to share, by the way, may sound contrarian and very contrary to what people are used to hearing from a marketing consultant or an author. But um, so what I always tell people is I'm not here to proselytize about mindfulness. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think it was Joan Baez who once said, take what you need and leave the rest. So my hope is that something you'll hear today will be resonant and and other things may not be, and that's totally fine. Right. 
And mindfulness is really a way of being. It's not a religion. It's not a philosophy. It's just a way of living our lives. And I first want to say that mindfulness is a large umbrella under which you can find yoga, walking in nature without our digital devices controlling us, mm -hmm. Reiki, breath work, meditation. Uh, there are so many different forms of meditation and mindfulness available. And the fun part after now I'm in my 19th year of practicing all types of mindfulness, the one thing I can say is, you know, we all get to choose the types of mindfulness practices that work for us. Mm -hmm. And so that's the first thing I wanted to share with everybody is uh, there are so many different roads of mindfulness and the clients I typically work with, I can share with you, I can share you, you know, on the outside, clients can go to my website. If they go to lisanorell.com, mm -hmm. they might find that there are, are client stories about how they may have increased their revenues by double digits, mm -hmm. um, how they were able to accelerate their go-to-market strategy. All of those things are, are true. And those are real client stories. And my goal is to make sure that when we work together, we don't just look at business results because we bring, we don't have, when, when I'm coaching a client or I'm advising them on their growth strategy, here's one thing I know. We're not just looking at their business plan. We're looking or we're not looking at their business life. We're looking at their whole life. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Right. So what, what, I mean, so like, what are their lives looking like? You know, let's say put well, aside business for a second. What are their lives looking like? Well, I mean, I, like you say, everybody's different and there's all different paths for different people. Are you seeing common commonalities in where people are coming from before they start? Clients who typically come to me, they've read one of my books or they saw me at a, key, a virtual keynote mm -hmm. and or they've heard about me through the Marshall Goldsmith 100 Coaches community of which I am a member. And they'll typically say something like this. And this is an actual client that uh, I've been working with. Hey, I've been a chief marketing officer. I have gotten promotions. I've been in the marketing profession for 20 years. I've worked for these top-notch companies in the healthcare space. Mm -hmm. And this particular person came to me and said, I'm hiring you to help me design a career, a new career strategy and help me find a new job. Sounds good. I wanna work with you because I want to get there faster. I want to make sure I you know, am really up to speed on how I, how I tell my story and how I, and a, a job search strategy right. that'll help so me. So mostly external stuff. Right. And so as we go through this, in particular with this one client, what we found is they were, they kept coming to the meetings and frustrated, even though they had, they're doing networking, they're, they're interviewing past customers and interviewing past coworkers and bosses to figure out what their strengths are. They're doing all the mechanics right. right. And they said, but I'm so frustrated. I'm so angry. I just, I feel so stuck. And what we found is that they were beating themselves up about 
I'm not doing enough. I'm not moving fast enough. The self-criticism was keeping their feet in the mud. And in your work of helping people build their operating systems, I wonder if you see some of the same traits sometimes where- Feeling stuck, sure. Or I'm stuck or I, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm doing stuff, but it's just not resonating. You know, I'm, I've been doing that, this kind of work for 10 years, 20 years, and I, something's not right. So what we did, what we've done, and I think mindfulness has really, really helped me see this, is that allowing that person to have a moment of self-awareness and say, oh, wow, I feel stuck and frustrated. And you know what? I just am. This is where I'm at. Um, I have, I give them a few tools um, around journaling and um, rest and relaxation to uh, some extreme self-care in order for them to give themselves a day off from self-criticism and judgment, which can completely destroy the entrepreneurial spirit we all need in order to make it through these tough times. So, so let's dive into some, 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 some details or specifics. What are some things that people can be doing in their lives and their work and their business to be more mindful or more intentional about, you know, that, that principle, that forward definition of mindfulness you mentioned before, but what are some examples of how they can incorporate that into, uh, into their, into their lives and work? I'll give you an example of the former chief marketing officer of trip advisor. Um, Barbara was, she, she took over this particular group of marketers and she noticed that they were so addicted to their phones that whenever they had staff meetings or retreats, everybody was too busy staring at their devices to really be engaged. So what she did is she created some new rules for the group. She said, look, first of all, we're going to have field trips and we're going to go to art galleries beautiful libraries um, and other places of inspiration. And we're gonna keep our phones hidden and we're gonna find ways to connect with each other in a different way. Then she started having actual staff meetings where people put their phones in a basket before the meeting and they were unable to use their phones to check messages and make phone calls during the meeting. And what she saw happen just in a matter of months was double digit improvement in employee engagement scores. She then went on to become a CMO of Walmart. So she's, she's had wow. a, an illustrious career. And I really always admired Barbara Messing for her courageous approach here of saying, hey guys, you know, we don't have to have our phones right. in front of us 24 hours a day. It's not helping. Right. When we're in a meeting or when we're with people, we're with people. I actually recently started doing that with my clients in meetings also is just saying like, okay, before we get started, we're having hundred percent engagement. There's a table over there by the screen or whatever. Yeah. Let's just all, I'm doing mine too. Like let's all put our phones over there. And, and so I definitely hear that. I mean, what about, you know, what else? Like we have, you know, back-to-back meetings, like what, what you know, what, what other things can people be thinking about doing? I would love to hear from you. How did your interaction with those clients shift as a result of asking them to put their phone somewhere else? 
first of all, there's a certain fear that I would feel and maybe others would feel in advance of even asking that question or making that request because you feel like, oh, we're, you're treating us like babies or, or, you know, like we're not adults. And um, first of all, there was, there was none of that. I would say I ask all of my clients to rate our meetings at the end. A scale of one to 10, 10 being most effective to one being least effective. How effective was our meeting? And, um, you know, I definitely would say that it's, I mean, it's been virtually unanimous 10 since then. I mean, just people are more engaged and it, well, you know how it is. You're, just, you know, you're like talking about something and one or two people are doing an email or something and it's, uh, and they're just not there. And if that's not a possibility, then it's just, you're automatically more engaged with whatever is going on. So it's, it's a lot better. And the, and the negative reaction just isn't there. If you're just confident enough and just say it, whoever it is that's gonna make that announcement, um, then you know, people don't hold it against you. Like it, you know, people are grateful in the end, I think. Yes, and it's, a, it's such an exciting time to be alive because there are now over 10,000 studies scientific studies that have been completed on evaluating the benefits of mindfulness mm -hmm. in our daily lives. And, you know, I'm a big fan of science. <laughs> and I have to say that, you know, after 10,000 studies of how it rewires our brain and it opens up our pathways to creativity and present moment awareness mm -hmm. and higher levels of focus, I say, how can I argue with this? Right. You know, there's a reason that the Dalai Lama, of all people, has created such strong collaborations with scientists at Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, he, he saw how mind meditation could open up these pathways and rewire neural networks in a way that was empowering and, uh, and just such an exciting area for all of us to know about. Right. What are some other practical things people can do to be, you know, where are some other practical applications of, of the principles of mindfulness and the people would come across day to day? I would inv invite people to consider these three things. The first mm -hmm. one is what I call min-max. All of us are working behind a screen right now, working from home, there, remember the first few months of the pandemic, Ben, when everybody was almost wearing it as a badge of honor of how many Zoom meetings they had a day? Yeah, before they get burned out, yeah. Right, and you know, we had Zoom meetings, then we had Zoom happy hours, then we had yeah. Zoom family meetings. I mean, it was to the point where if we weren't careful, we were on Zoom 14 hours a day. Yeah. So. A lot of that is now kind of throttling back as we're noticing people are saying, okay, enough is enough. So what I invite people to do, number one, set a min max for your meetings, mm -hmm. which means before any meeting, I've got this notebook right here. Um, and before every important business meeting, I pull out my notebook. I don't use Evernote anymore because I wasn't able to retain things as well. All right, you want paper, physical. I use actual paper and I write down what is my minimum best intention for this meeting? And what is my maximum best intention? And best intention, you mean like, what do I wanna accomplish or what do I wanna come from this meeting? Or what do you mean? More of an intention versus a goal. So um, what is that? Western society is so obsessed with goals and hit, hitting the numbers and it, it's paralyzing at times. 
So for me, if I'm meeting a new person, for example, let's say I'm meeting a chief marketing officer for the first time, I look more for what is my intention with that person. And for the first meeting, my, my minimum best outcome will simply be, I'm going to establish a relationship with her. It could be that simple. Maybe the maximum best outcome might be, you know what, I just want to agree to explore a follow-up conversation. So it could be something as simple as that. This, that's the first suggestion I have for people. Again, try these on because some may work for you and some may not. The second thing I like to do is allow 10 or 15 minutes in between your meetings mm. to breathe, to move around, to walk around the block, to sip your coffee, whatever it might be. Because what I always like to do is I, again, I pull out my notebook and say, okay, I just had this meeting with Valerie. What worked in this meeting? What didn't work? What's my follow-up action? So it gives me time to reflect on the past meeting or get up and stretch my legs. And what that means is if you pull up my automated calendar system, you'll notice that my 30-minute meetings are actually 25-minute meetings. My one-hour meetings are 50-minute meetings because I just no longer accept nor right. believe in eight straight hours of video conferencing. It is debilitating. And, um, the, and so those are two strategies I would recommend. And the third is for anyone who sees themselves as a marketer mm -hmm. or even people in other functions, finance, operations, IT, Right now, we are seeing a tremendous receptivity in our businesses among the hundreds of clients I've served for experimentation and open and receptivity to fresh ideas to help our businesses grow. This is our time. So every one of us, I would encourage you to pull out your calendar and put time on your calendar, block it out to actually have, okay, drum roll, please, a conversation with customers. Mm -hmm. Marketers have been hiding behind focus groups, SurveyMonkey, um, LinkedIn groups for long enough. And for my B2B clients, they have been locked out of accounts because salespeople have told them, oh, you can't call that customer because I have the relationship with her. You know, I don't want you to call her. Well, those days are over and the walls have fallen down. We are seeing a disintegration of these authoritative structures in our organizations, as well as in politics. And it's time for us to team up with salespeople and say, look, we're in this together. We need to hold on to our wonderful customers and find ways to engage with them and keep them. And we also want to help you go find new customers we haven't been talking to or new markets that are undiscovered. So those are my three suggestions. Right, and I appreciate it. And actually on that third one, I was, I, I think I know what you would answer, but I, I, I was wondering a follow-up question, which is, you know, look, that, I, you know, I'm all about uh, efficiency and, you know, knowing what people are thinking, knowing, you know, finding out issues, but doing it efficiently and, you know, with the least amount of cost and number of people and number of hours necessary and so these surveys, it's a great, great idea for efficiency. And so I think what you're, I mean, I think what you would say is, is probably to do both is, is just to not go 100% on the, 
on the automated impersonal, uh, but to get a you know get a connection, get a sense of what's really bothering people, what are their issues, what do they like, what do they not like, whatever. But just have actual conversations, probably in addition to. Am I am I right about that? Or well, let's think. Or about do you that. think it's not, or there's no place for it? Think about that elderly couple sitting on a park bench in Manhattan. They've been married for 45 years. The wife turns to her husband. She says, dear, I would like a divorce. The husband almost falls off the bench. And he looks at her and he says, my gosh, we've been married for 45 years. Why on earth would you want a divorce? And she says, my dear, you never tell me you love me. And the husband turns to her after a pause and says, when did I last tell you that I loved you? And she said, on the night we were married. And he said, well, if anything changes, I'll get back to you. <laughs> and we treat our customers the same way, Ben. It's not fair. It's not fair. We send, you know, we welcome them. We get them through our funnel. They close the deal. They pay us. We ship them their service or their product. And then time goes on and we think, well, if anything changes, we'll get back to them. You know, and shame on us. We are living behind a screen. We are experiencing collective global grief right now. I have clients regularly sharing deep emotions with me. And I'm not saying that because of my ego. I'm saying that because we have to call it what it is. People need some more love and reassurance that we recognize them, we see them, and we hear them. Right. I appreciate that, and I appreciate the the three the the three tips and the you know the three ways. Obviously, one of one of many, and there's a lot of ways that these principles can get applied in, in people's lives and people's work uh, to be more intentional. And can you reiterate that forward definition of mindfulness that you mentioned a minute ago? The principle? mindfulness is non-judgmental present moment awareness. Non-judgmental present moment awareness, going into conversations, going into meetings, going into things that you want to get done. Or doing nothing. It's also very right. helpful when I'm doing nothing. I get my best ideas when I'm doing nothing on Sunday mornings and I'm just sitting and observing my thoughts and observing my, my body and my uh, visceral experience. Boy, is that a scary thought for a lot of us. Oh my gosh, I'm doing nothing. Yeah. Whoa! Don't want that to happen. I should be doing something, right? Right, and it's you know I would try to imagine that happening if I was sitting doing nothing on the couch in my living room on a Sunday morning. If I had my phone, then it wouldn't really be a quiet moment. <laughs> you know, there's you know just like when you're interacting with other people, if you're trying to interact with yourself, uh, you know, it seems like that would get in the way there too. It's possible. <laughs> I mean, I could certainly find that from my experience, but I appreciate you coming on and sharing everything that you have today. And people can go to lisanorell.com and Norell is with two L's, N-I-R-E-L-L, lisanorell.com or uh, energizegrowth.com or company as well. And uh, Lisa, I really appreciate you coming on today and sharing all of this. Well, it's my pleasure. And, you know, we created an entire collection of free resources for people at energizegrowth.com. Um, you can go to my, if for more examples of free resources, you can also go to 
themindfulmarketer.com forward slash bonus. We have an okay. entire page of pandemic planning resources for people there. You said themindfulmarketer.com? themindfulmarketer.com forward slash bonus. Forward slash bonus. All right, we got that. We'll put that in the description as well. And thank you so much, Lisa, and appreciate you coming on. It's been a pleasure, Ben. Take good care. You too. Talk to you later. See everybody else on the other side. Bye. You're listening to Win Win, an entrepreneurial community with your host, Ben Wolf.